It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, Nonviolence means avoiding not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of spirits. You not only refuse to shoot a man, but you refuse to hate him. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us this evening. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So let's get started. Jonathan, what is happening on this fine Monday night? Well, Rick, we really have an interesting question, um, and it's kind of scary question at, at the same time. Has God lost control of our world? And our theme text is found in Joel chapter 2, verse 2. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there ever be again to the years of many generations. History does repeat itself. Sometimes in its repetition we can see the heartbreak of the transgressions of the past repeated in the present with an ever deeper and more insidious result. Look around you and what do you see? Shootings, stabbings, bombings, race riots, gangs, rape, murder, genocide, Black Lives Matter, Police Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, but what does it matter? Politicians lie, people lie, and, and so many lie unnecessarily in early graves. Save the whales, save the schools, save the planet, save the children, save them for what future? Muslims against Christians, Christians against other Christians, and seemingly the world against Judaism, and all the while the atheists say, I told you so. Women's rights, animal rights, civil rights, gun rights, LGBT rights, so many rights, but everything still seems so wrong. The world has become dangerous and angry. Their clamoring for peace is drowned out by the ever-increasing clamor of violence. Where is God? Does he hear? Does he know? Does he care? Has God completely lost control of our world? And Jonathan, that's a mouthful. It certainly is, Rick. That's a lot to be considering tonight. It's an amazingly important question and deserves a very clear, concise, scriptural answer. Has God lost control of our world? That's what we want to talk about tonight. So, folks, as you uh, stay with us, we want you to see if you can stay for the entire program because we've got, we're going to develop a subject that, like you said, Jonathan, at the very beginning, it's a little bit scary but once you get through the scariness and begin to see it, you can see something of great, great value that can have a lasting, positive impression on your life. So to get started with this, Jonathan, we've actually brought in our resident CQ Rewind Chief Rewinder-in-Chief. Uh, Julie, good evening. Welcome. Good evening. Good evening, Rick and Jonathan. So you are our Chief Rewinder. 
since 2010, yes. So every program has a written transcript, and, and our team uh, puts that out every week. And it started with you, and now you've got a whole team working with you. Yep, it's great. It's been great. So, Julie, just, um, you know, we're, we're, talking, we're going to be talking about this prophecy in Joel chapter 2. We're going to be talking about locusts. This, approaching this subject, this particular question with this prophecy was your suggestion to me. What was it about this prophecy that, that motivated you to say, hey, we should, we should look at it this way? Well, you know, it really was watching a lot of cable TV news lately and seeing all these bombings and all these shootings and all this violence and all this anger. And when you announced this topic, I thought, what a great question, because it does seem like our world is out of control. And I was thinking, okay, what if we had to, what if we had to convince someone? How could we give someone hope? that everything is okay when everything is obviously not okay. You know, how can we depend on a creator that stopped talking to his creation thousands of years ago? How do we rely on these ancient texts uh, to give us any answers? But then I remembered the prophecy in Joel 2. And I remember my grandfather teaching me this prophecy. And you can lay this prophecy, overlay it right on today's newspaper, and it fits so well and with such accuracy that that is what can give us comfort and peace, that God has this because he's already reported on it, and we already know what the ending is going to be. All right, so we can thank Julie's grandfather for bringing this prophecy to light. What prophecy will stay with us? We're going to get to it. It's going to take us a little while to get there because we need to lay the groundwork. Because, again, the question is, has God lost control of our world? And the all-important answer to that pivotal question is really simple. It is a resounding no. God does hear, God does know, and God does care. In fact, God cares enough to allow the entire human race to learn the lesson about right and wrong, that is, uh, to learn a lesson about right and wrong that is powerful enough to have its effects last through all of eternity. And you can imagine, if there is an eternal lesson to be taught, it's got to be an important lesson that has the ability to stick. It has great value, Rick. Right. It's got to have great value. It's got to be a deep and abiding lesson because, again, it has to last uh, for uh, eternity. So let's examine this through the eyes of Scripture. Let's examine the question, has God lost control of our world through the eyes of Scripture? So we are going to be eventually getting to the prophecy in Joel chapter 2, but we've got a lot of groundwork to lay before that because Joel chapter 2 drops in with great trouble. How do you get to great trouble? What was God doing? What was God thinking before all of that? That's what we need to establish first. So, Jonathan, as we have often done on, on our program, we're going to go right back to the beginning, okay? Original sin in the garden. Uh, and, and, you know, you think about it, when, when you think about, Julie, what you just said about the, the news, the news and, and how things are so horrific every single day and people are dying and people are starving and people are being taken advantage of, you think, okay, so one sin in the garden, so a guy ate an apple and he thought he shouldn't have eaten. Is that so bad? Well, might not have been an apple, incidentally. That's, a whole that's true. That's a whole <laughs> different thing. But, you know, it seems trivial in light of the things that we talk about now. But, in fact, it was the worst kind of sin because it was a sin of willful disobedience by Adam of a direct command of God. And that idea of willful disobedience is going to crop up again and again. It has a lot to do 
a lot to do with the prophecy of Joel, as we will see as it unfolds. So, so Jonathan, let's go back. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. All right, so we have the sin, and of course we're very, very, very familiar with these scriptures. There, there, are, there are four things that happen here that we just want to touch on very briefly. The first point is that there is an alternate thinking introduced. And what was that alternate thinking? You will not die. And what did God say before that? You will die. Okay, so it's pretty simple. You will die, you will not die. Both cannot be right. There's an alternate way to look at life in this original sin. Secondly, there, was, there were enticing suggestions. Like what? Your eyes will be opened. Now, that's an interesting suggestion because when you think about that original sin, God said that they couldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the implication is that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll gain knowledge of good and evil. So, sure. it, like, who wouldn't, wouldn't want that? That sounds like, I, I should know that, right? I should know that. And God, I think, would say, sure you should. But when I tell you you should, I think that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> you wait for me to instruct you to get that knowledge when I think the time is right. So it was an enticing suggestion for something positive in the wrong time and, again, direct to disobedience. The third point, the third uh, uh, um, difficulty, here, difficulty here was there was an accessible pathway opened up. And what was that? You'll be like God. Because God originally said that, um, or God, when he was tossing them out of the garden, said, you know, you know they're going to be like us, knowing good and evil. So, look, what's wrong with wanting to be like God? Except that, who was the very first sinner that we know of in the entire creation of God? It, Lucifer. Yeah, yeah. And Lucifer, his great, great downfall was to want to be like the Most High. Again, it's wanting things that are out of your station that becomes a great sin here. And then the result is what? Freedom is violated. See, they had incredible freedom in the garden. Freedom with responsibility. That's what they had. They had the responsibility of maintaining the garden, of keeping God first, and they could do and be whatever it was they wanted to do and be. And as a result of the sin, they lost that freedom. So, so what's the message from this original sin? We are no longer free when we violate the responsibilities of our freedom legacy by acting on those things presented to us by those out of harmony with godly principles. So, and again, this is going to tie in to the Joel prophecy with the locusts and all of that coming up later in the program because the idea is... There is a following after of those who are out of harmony with God. And when you line up behind those who are out of harmony, even if you are lining up for good reasons behind those who are out of harmony with God, what's the end result going to be? Bad. <laughs> yeah. It's going to end up with sin and death. Yeah. That's always the conclusion 
when we act out of harmony uh, with God. So now the inevitable downward path was had to follow. It absolutely had to follow and it would spread like a disease. So let's fast forward from this about 1600 years, 1656 years later in Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 and 6. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. So, Jonathan and Julie, remember earlier we said that, you know, it sounds like such a trivial thing, eating this fruit that you weren't supposed to eat. You say, okay, you know, what's the big deal? The big deal is 1,600 years later, it says that the every imagination of the thoughts of the heart of men was only evil continually. So it was a big deal. Because that's the way sin works. Sin starts, it gets hold of, and it converts, and it changes, and be, pretty soon you are exactly opposite of what you were created to be. That's what we have. That's where we end up with. Uh, the, the result that we end up with when we look at uh, the sin, and, and again, Julie, like you were saying in the news and all of that that you hear today, when you look at the time of the flood, it were, there were similar types of circumstances. Yeah, it, it seems like today you're, you're, man's heart is evil continually. Right. And it seems to me like evil is, it compounds. Right. And it's cumulative, and it's hard to get rid of. And because of the masses of population that we have now, the compounding effect of evil is even greater than it would have been way back then. Let's pause here for a minute. Let's go to a soundbite. This is from Prince E, and he's a, he's a Christian rapper. This guy is a brilliant poet. And he is talking about, uh, he's got this, this, this song, it's, it's Why I Think This World Should End. And you think, whoa, that sounds like pretty, pretty sad stuff. But let's listen to what he says. The people are depressed and angry. We can't live with each other and we can't live with ourselves. So everyone's medicated. We pass each other on the streets, and if we do speak, it's meaningless robotic communication. More people want 15 seconds of fame than a lifetime of meaning and purpose because what's popular is more important than what's right. Ratings are more important than the truth. Our government builds twice as many prisons than schools. It's easier to find a Big Mac than an apple. And when you find the apple, it's been genetically processed and modified. Presidents lie. Politicians trick us. Race is still an issue. And so is religion. Your God doesn't exist. My God does, and he is all-loving. If you disagree with me, I'll kill you. Or even worse, argue you to death. So, so he captures he captures something very very brilliant there in terms of what's happened to the world in which we live and how it's just completely gone off the deep end and we're going to keep coming back to him throughout the program because poetically he puts our world in perspective and as we unfold this prophecy in Joel that we're coming to it's going to fit so well to help us understand what God has in store and why God has it in store. So, so before we end the segment, Jonathan, just one more scripture. You know, we, we looked at the one sin in the garden. We're focusing on the sin of Adam as the as the catalyst. We jumped forward to the the flood scene where the thoughts of men were continually evil. And now this Roman scripture, uh, Romans three twenty three, kind of wraps that all up. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's a simple scripture. 
that puts sin and its consequences in a very clear and concise uh, place. And it says, all have sinned. And so you say, okay, yeah, we, we get that. But what I think we don't realize all the time is the second part of the scripture. It says, all have sinned, and the result of that is, all have come short of the glory of God. So the glory of God, while it can be there and it can be positive, it can be great and it can be wonderful, we come short. And all of the best efforts of humanity can't get there. So what we've established in this first segment is really simple. What we've established is that mankind is far away from the will and the ways of God. And when you look at that and you say, okay, well, how far away is mankind? I don't know. Has, has God lost complete control of this world? Is it recoverable? And if so, what's got to happen? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, with our own Julie from CQ Rewind. And our subject is, has God lost control of our world? Coming up, what is involved in the process to solve the sin of disobeying God Almighty? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. All right, so as we come back into this uh, second segment now and treating the question, has God lost control uh, of our world? In the first segment, we established the, uh, the distance that mankind has traveled away from God. Having established that distance, well, what do we do with that? Because, you know, Julie, as you were talking about, you know, looking at the news and all of that, it's, you were talking about it from the standpoint of it's pretty discouraging. And it's it's actually, actually kind of scary as well, right? Absolutely. So you, you get there, and it's a, it's a scary thing. So how do you get your mind on the same page as God? I mean, what do we do to bring our heads around so that we can see through the scariness and the difficulty and the trial and the tribulation and the tragedy and the greed and the mess and the murders and all of those things and say, okay, God sees this differently. How do I get onto the same page as God? What we now and Jonathan, I want to make a statement here that really has to be has to be uh, absorbed. What we see as hopeless, God sees as inevitably perfect. Really, what? <laughs> that's what, a tough statement. Well, it is. What we see as hopeless, God sees as inevitably perfect. We're going to lay that out for you this evening as we go through this prophecy in Joel. We're still not to Joel yet. Patience, patience. Uh, because what we need to see is God's vision of the perfect plan that covers everything. That's what this is about. And that's why we keep saying God has not lost control of our world. Folks, so how do we get on the same page as God? Well, first of all, if people want to call in, they can tell us what they think at 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. 
And you can also message us on your app. And if you don't have an app and you have a smartphone, just go to your app store and type in Christian Questions Radio. It is a free service. And tens of thousands of people have downloaded that app, and we've gotten great, great uh, results from that. Okay, so you asked the question, Jonathan, how do we get on the same page as God? Well, yeah. there are four steps to that, and we're going to create an acronym to make it easy to remember. We want to be on the same page as God, so what word will we use to, to make the acronym? Ac- I can't even say it. Acronym. Well, why don't we use, uh, for step one, provide. Okay. P- for page. Page. Okay, so we're going to use the word page. P-A-G-E. Beyond God's page. Okay, yeah. page. P-A-G-E. So P, what does that stand for? Provide. A method to satisfy justice, to buy back the sinner from a sin. Okay. P-A. A stands for? Allow. The sin of disobedience to mature to its full and most destructive form. That sounds pretty serious, to allow sin to mature to its most destructive form. P-A-G. G G is for? Guide. Guide the inevitable self-destructive implosion of the sin of disobedience to its logical, though utterly frightening, and merciful conclusion. Okay, P-A-G, and then E is for? Establish. Establish eternal peace by eradicating sin, disobedience, and all who fuel them for all of eternity. Okay, so page. We want to get on the same page as God, and God provides, He allows, He guides, and He establishes. We're going to go through each of these letters through the rest of the program and look at it from a scriptural standpoint and show you how God does, in fact, have it in control in such a magnificent way that it's actually breathtaking. So, the first step. P is for provide. Provide a method to satisfy justice, to buy back the sinner from his sin. We go back now, Jonathan, just for a few minutes to the garden situation. In the midst of handing down the consequences for man's disobedience and abuse of their freedom, he saw fit, God saw fit to provide them protection and hope, even as he was banishing them from their freedom. So God is in the middle of throwing them out. You know, this is the father uh, pronouncing judgment on his rebellious children. And he's still taking care of them. And he's still taking care of them. How do we know (laughs) that? I love that. that. Well, let's look at at Genesis chapter 3, verses 21 and 23. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Therefore, the Lord God sent them out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground for which it was taken. So it says... He made garments of skin for Adam and Eve. The fig leaves must not have worked out. Well, and see, the thing is, he made them something that would be more permanent, more lasting. And so what did he make it out of? Animal skins. So what did he have to do? There had to be a sacrifice of an animal to make them. So there is a picture there that God had provided a sacrifice. Now, you know, we can speculate on what kind of animal that would have been. Uh, and, you know, we have speculated before on that, and we've kind of come to an agreement amongst ourselves that we think it was probably a lamb that was was sacrificed so that they could be clothed, because we know of the scripture that talks about Jesus as the Lamb of God. So it says that he clothed them, he clothed them so that they could go out and cultivate the ground, so they would be prepared to go make a living, make a way to pre- protect and provide for themselves. So as they were being punished... They were being cared for. So God provides a method to satisfy justice, and he's showing mercy as he provides that method. 
There's that tiny little picture in that providing of the animal skins there. There's but that hope. There is. But let's go further now. Let's go further. Let's leave the Adam and Eve situation for now, and let's move forward. God unmistakably continues to plant hope. And that's one thing that gives us great confidence uh, in the question, you know, has God lost control of our world? We can say no with great faith because it's not just because we feel like God has got control. It's because we see him planting hope from generation to generation to generation. And as he continues to plant the hope, it expands and becomes more and more understandable. So if we fast forward several generations, we now come to Abraham. And of course, we know the story of Abraham and his son. Remember, he didn't have his son Isaac for a very, very long time. Finally, they have the son, and then God says, well, go sacrifice your son. And Abraham... After he, after he called him the promised seed. Right, right. <laughs> the, the promised, long-awaited seed. And now Abraham has gone to do that because he's obedient to God, because he has faith in God. And, and, and here's what happens as a result of his obedience. Let's go to Genesis 22, 15 to 18. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Okay, now now hold on there for a second, because that's a great promise to Abraham. And, oh, it's huge. And Abraham's family. Mm-hmm. And you get the feeling that, you know, you read that promise up to that point, and you say, wow. They're special. Right. God takes care of those who really obey him. And that is true. That is very true. But God also, in this promise to Abraham, was showing us that he was providing peace. How do you get on the same page as God? You realize how he provides the answer long beforehand. He was providing an answer and that for everybody else as well as the seed and the posterity of Abraham finished the promise. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. So when you look at a promise like that, uh, I mean, that, that's pretty magnificent. It is all my favorite word in the Bible. I love it. <laughs> and and you know, your favorite word in the Bible is all, and my favorite thing in the Bible is context. Yes, it so is. So when we put all in the context of the promise given to Abraham, it tells us that every human being has opportunity to be blessed because of Abraham's faithfulness. Yes. That's a huge thing. That is a broad and inclusive promise. So how do God's promises work? Slowly. <laughs> very he's patient he, we're not <laughs> that's right and again i go back to what julie said at the beginning of the program by looking at uh, you know you you watch cable news and you see all of the things happening in the world and we have instant access to things happening all over the world and when we see that instant access it is just just it's it, it it's scary because you look at it and you say how can this be how can mankind treat mankind this way and the answer is because we're all stuck in sin we are just stuck in sin god's promises are working slowly throughout the ages they work slowly over time so they can deliver eternal results because if you're preparing something for eternity you don't just slap it together you know you don't use a little bit of you know bubble gum to stick the joints together it's got to be well thought out rick well thought out and precisely constructed. 
That's what the plan of God is. Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham. He came to be the fulfillment of those early promises and prophecies. How do we know that? Because the New Testament tells us bluntly and plainly about the role that Jesus plays. Let's go to Romans 5, 18 and 19. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of the one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of the one shall many be made righteous. All right, so we, we draw the conclusion there that God truly did have this under control right from the start. All right, so, so Julie, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at this, at this providing thing. And we've gone through Genesis and the Abrahamic promise and the New Testament. So just from your perspective, you see God providing. What was it that he provided and how did he provide it and when did he have it provided? Wow. Well, God provided the, um, the lamb from the beginning of the foundation of the earth. So it was provided, as we learned last week on the program on Who is Satan, that basically right before Lucifer sinned, there was already a plan in place. Right. So, so his providence was working. It was, it was in place right from the start. And see, to me, that is one of the most comforting thoughts in all of Scripture, that God's providence, he didn't have to backpedal and rethink and throw the plans away and draw new plans up. He knew. He understood, and he provided for things that were going to come. So we understand P. How do you get on the same page as God? You realize that he provided a method to satisfy justice. The A, again, Jonathan, in page stands for what? Allow. Allow the sin of disobedience to mature to its full and most destructive form. Okay. I want to play a, a soundbite here, and uh, Julie, I'll ask for your comments on this right after the soundbite, because it's, it's, it's from a book that was written hundreds of years ago, and it was about the time of the French Revolution. Is that right? Julie, is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, let's, let's listen to this quote from the beginning of this book. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. So, Julie, when you hear that, what, is it, what does it make you think of? Wow. I think, that, I think that you can take the words, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times, and put it into today. It does seem today like it is the best of times and the worst of times and yet a season of despair. We're at the pinnacle of man's abilities in medical breakthroughs and technological breakthroughs. And, I mean, we've been to the moon. We've been to outer space. We, we've been to inner space. And yet still, nothing is good. So you look at that describing the time of the French Revolution, and you can fast forward those words, and they fit even better today than they did way back then. So, you know, it, it's amazing how history does repeat itself. But in the repetition of history, what often happens is the history itself grows larger, and it looms stronger and heavier 
as it comes again with its next repetition. And that's what we're seeing. And again, once we get to the prophecy in Joel, we're going to see that repetition uh, process come, come to the front again. So let's go back again, Jonathan. We touched on this earlier. Let's go back to Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. So when you think it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, you could apply that to that time too. So even long before the words were written, you could have looked at it and seen the goodness and the badness all at the same time. And you say, God had a way to, 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 uh, to, to, to end that particular age, and he does have a way to end this particular age, and that's where the prophecy in Joel is going to come in. Now here's the thing about evil, Jonathan, because we, we talked about that allow means to allow the sin of disobedience to mature to its full and its most destructive form. That doesn't percolate overnight. It's got to play out. Right. Now, have you ever watched a pot and, you know, watched water boil? <laughs> it just, it takes forever, yeah. right? You know, it while does. you're watching. But if you go do something else, it seems like it doesn't take forever. The exactly. point is, allowing sin to percolate is a drawn out process. How do we know? Well, scriptures give us a hint as to the cycles of the growth of sin. Let's look at Genesis 15, verse 16. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Okay, in the fourth generation they'll return because the iniquity of the Amorites hasn't percolated long enough yet. And he's talking about four generations go by. So it gives you a sense on how long it takes things to grow and develop and get out of hand. Another scripture along those lines, Daniel 8.23. In the latter period of their rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue. When the transgressors have run their course. So, while the plan of God takes time to develop, sin also takes time to develop. And for it to play its perfect role in the plan of God, and sin does have a perfect role in the plan of God, we'll get to that later, it's something of value. You mentioned that before, Jonathan. The lesson of sin included here takes time to develop, and often develop in stages and it, it, that and sin has a worth. Sin has a worth. And the worth has to be something that is good for all of eternity. Otherwise, it would have been a waste of time to experience it. So what's the worth of sin? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, with our very own Julie from CQ Rewind. And our subject is, Has God Lost Control of Our World? Coming up. So what happens when sin grows to its full, ugly, miserable, and destructive maturity? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today, Has God Lost Control of Our World? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to go to our website and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. Our website, Christian Questions. 
com. Okay, so what happens? You you asked the question at the end of the last segment, Jonathan, when sin grows to its full, ugly, miserable, and destructive maturity. Yeah. Once sin is mature, and once disobedience is recognized, their very nature is going to only bring trouble. And we are seeing that before our eyes right now. And again, I go back to what Julie said at the very, very beginning of the program. But there are prophecies that were there long before there was cable news that talked about what's happening in the world. Daniel 12.1 is a really good, one, good place for us to start. Now at the time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation. Until that time, and at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. So there you have the prophet Daniel thousands of years ago speaking in an inspired state, writing saying there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. That's pretty serious. It is. Because the world has gone through some pretty bad times of distress in the past. But this, sure. but this one is going to top them all. This one's going to be worse than them all. I mean, you know, it's like, this is like the contest you don't want to win. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this, is the, this is a time of trouble that will forever be able to be looked back to and, 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 and referenced saying, never want to go there again. That's how big and how bad this trouble has to be. Jesus himself verifies this recognition of this great trouble in his own great prophecy of his return. In Matthew 24, he's talking about his return and he references exactly what Daniel said. Uh, Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So you see Jesus talking about that time of trouble that Daniel referenced, but he enhances it. And he said, unless those days be cut short, no life would have been saved. So you're talking about the seriousness, and Jesus adds to the seriousness that Daniel put in place. So, you know, the, 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 the P in our lesson for staying on the same page, the acronym page, was to provide, P stands for provide, provide a method to satisfy justice. We understand that God had that provided long, 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 long ago. The A that we've been discussing means to allow sin and disobedience to grow to full maturity. These two scriptures, the Daniel and Matthew 24 scriptures, show us the full maturity of sin. So that means now it has to be dismantled. Now it has to be blown up. Now it has to be taken apart. Now it has to be handled. Now it has to be ended. This is where the G comes into play. And what does the G from the word page stand for, Jonathan, once again? Well, Rick, it stands for guide. Guide the inevitable self-destructive implosion of the sin of disobedience to its logical, though utterly frightening, and merciful conclusion. All right. So God is going to guide the inevitable self-destruction and implosion of sin. Now, how is he going to do that? This is where the prophecy of Joel comes into play. This is where it gets 
incredibly fascinating because we see some amazing details that God unfolds for us thousands of years ago that we can look around us and say, oh, that's happening right here, right now. Before we get to the prophecy, and I keep putting it off. It's like, will you, you, will you stop it already? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go back to another soundbite from Prince E uh, in, his, in his rap, Why I Think This World Should End. And listen, listen carefully to the words because they really do fit the time that we are talking about. 92% of songs on the radio are about sex. Kids don't play tag, they play twerk videos. The average person watches five hours of television a day, and it's more violence on the screen than ever before. Technology has given us everything we could ever want, and at the same time, stolen everything we really need. Pride is at an all-time high, humility an all-time low. Everybody knows everything, everybody's going somewhere, ignoring someone, blaming somebody. Not many human beings left anymore, a lot of human doings, plenty of human lingerings in the past, not many human beings. Not many human beings. Lots of human doings, lots of comings and goings, but not many human beings. And that's the result of sin. The result of being caught up in the things, in the stuff, in the excitement, in the, in the thrilling uh, situations that you can just get your life into. And you miss the value of life. And that's the tragedy here. You miss the value of life. So God has, uh, you know, you've heard of a GPS system? Sure. Okay, well, this is not GPS, and you know, don't try to put the initials to it. But God has a destruction of sin and disobedience guidance system. He does. It's like a guided missile system, okay? <laughs> All right, that's what this is. It, it's a destruction right. of sin and disobedience guidance system. He guides the destruction of sin and disobedience. Now, here's the key. He doesn't make it happen. He allows it to happen, and he guides its pathway. Now, that's a pretty strong statement to make. The scriptures are going to verify that for us in a few minutes. Okay, to understand this destruction of sin and disobedience guidance system that God has, we need to understand some seriously symbolic prophetic language. Thus, we come to the prophet Joel. Joel, the prophet, is going to walk us through this. So now, let's get started with the book of Joel. Joel chapter 1, uh, verses, Jonathan, let's start with verses 2 and 3. Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it, and tell your sons, tell their sons, and their sons the next generation. All right, so Julie, we're starting Joel. You've been waiting for this. I have, finally. <laughs> so this, this, is, this terrible prophecy of Joel, uh, we don't find this anywhere else in Scripture. And so what we're going to see is Joel is going to begin to use this metaphor of a locust. And it fits perfectly with what we see around us. He prophesied about something called the Lord's Great Army. Right. And you would think that, well, the Lord's Great Army is us. These Yay. are the Christians. Right. We're going to rise up and we're going to bring on the kingdom. But it's not true. It's, it's actually, it's an army of God's people, but it's made of, sorry, it's an army not of God's people, but made of discontented groups. So wait, wait, so wait. The Lord's great army, you're saying, is not God's people. It's an army of great number, not of Christians. Okay. 
necessarily. All right, now that that's a shock to a lot of people, but that we'll, is. We'll, we'll we'll get through. We'll, we'll we'll work with that. But go ahead. So the Lord's going to use their hopes, their their discontentment, their selfishness, according to His divine wisdom, to help overthrow the present establishments. Now the thing we're going to learn about this army is it's only capable of destruction. It, it has nothing to rebuild to establish a new world order. And, but in order to rebuild and rebuild God's kingdom, we've got to remove this old and decaying structure. So what's really important is this isn't a renovation. It's going to be a complete rebuilding, and this army is going to be used to destroy this current society. So if you look at it in terms of the construction metaphor, the, ar- the Lord's great army you're saying is like the bulldozer. It's only it's going to bulldoze and destroy and push everything aside and create rubble, and then you have to bring in another team to do the rebuild to to build something new. You're not rebuilding what's been destroyed. You're building something new. Right. You're okay. building righteous. So let's look at what this destructive army, how it's described. So Jonathan, let's go now. Joel chapter one, verses four and five. What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake, drunkards, and weep and wail, all you wine drinkers, on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. So this is describing the Lord's great army as a group of locusts. But it's not just a single swarm of locusts. It's like there's four different kinds of locusts here. So it suggests to us a process, a process that destroys. Because, Julie, you just said that the Lord's great army is only capable of destruction. Right. So let's see what these locusts do, what they actually physically do, the real live locusts that are, that are being discussed here, and see the process unfold right before our eyes. It starts with the gnawing locust. Okay, now the gnawing locust is it's kind of it's a it's a room that a worm a locust a palmer worm is is what it's called that that literally does that's what it does it gnaws away and it gnaws and it represents the subtle weaken, weakening of all that is good for food in the sight of God it doesn't completely strip away and kill things it just it just gnaws away at it little by little by little by little and when you look at an army that's capable of destruction what you have to begin with is you have those that come in and weaken those things which are good. That's what the gnawing locusts do. Then it says, what the gnawing locusts have left, the swarming locusts have eaten. Swarming, when you, whenever you hear anything in, in terms of a swarm, what you feel is being overpowered. The overwhelming power and force that can change and break down. And we think that this represents the overwhelming power and force that changes and breaks down all that is good in the sight of God. Now think about this. You've weakened things, and now you send in the swarm, and you break them. You break them. Everything that's good in the sight of God now is broken by those swarming locusts. But there still may be some life left to it. It may be broken down, but it's not completely destroyed. And so the scripture goes on to say, what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. Now the creeping locusts literally are young locusts. In the wake of the shock of the swarm, after the swarm goes through, these young locusts come in 
and they create the slow and steady destruction of all that was broken down that was good in the sight of God by, by the uh, uh, new ways and demands of the swarms. So if we put this to people, you have the ideas of mankind coming up and they gnaw away. You know, you had the 60s. Let's just talk about the 60s. You know, you had a free love, free sex, free everything. And that idea created the beginnings of a revolution. You have, now you've seen swarms come through where everybody starts to adopt that. And now you see a new generation literally coming up that only knows what the swarm has put in place. That's that, that like that young creeping locust. After that, they now, they, they chip away uh, and they make changes and society begins to actually change. And then it says what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. The stripping locusts are literally ravagers, total consuming of all that was good in the sight of God by those who destroy. You're now left with nothing recognizable that pertains to godliness and life. So this is a process, and if you put it to people, what you see is, first there's a subtle weakening, uh, sort of a challenge, then there's the overwhelming power of numbers, and then there's those who grow up on that power of numbers and consume, and then there's those that come in and completely destroy. And Julie, that describes a pretty destructive army, doesn't it? It's, it's a complete destruction. Wow. So that's the picture that we're given in this particular prophecy. Destruction caused by these locusts. Uh, now, so you got to say, well, what is this a prophetic symbol of? So let's now go to verses 6 and 7 of Joel chapter 1. For a nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. And it has made my wine a waste, and my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. So locusts here are symbolizing people an invading and destructive kind of people. Julie? And if we go a little bit further into Joel 1.12, Joel 1.12 says, The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. So we've learned on this program that trees in Scripture symbolically represent nations or countries. Right. And like in Luke 21:29, for example, where we have remember the parable of the fig trees and all the trees. And it talks about the nation of Israel after a certain time period coming into being with other countries. So here in Joel, we see that all the trees have dried up. So all nations here are affected. This is going to be a worldwide problem. So what you're doing is you're taking the prophetic symbols that we have throughout Scripture and saying they all apply. Because these prophetic right. symbols are consistent through Scripture. And when we take them, it creates a very scary image. And this scary image of these locusts and this four-step process are what you're saying. It, they, they destroy everything. And there's no nation that is exempt from this kind of destruction. And so we can see that this is, this is a very, very, very important system. And remember, this is the natural outgrowth of sin but also remember, God is guiding this destruction of sin. Rick, technology has all countries intertwined today. Yeah, and, and we're, we're actually going to see that 
come to life literally in this prophecy of Joel very, very soon. So Jonathan, we're, we've only got a couple minutes here. Let's go to Joel chapter 2 now. Here's where we see God's destruction of sin and disobedience guidance system actually in action. Joel chapter 2 verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. So it's another serious warning about great trouble coming. So you say, okay, great trouble. Well, what does that great trouble look like? Now, Julie already went to other prophecies, went to, the, to Joel uh, chapter 1, verse 12, to kind of describe the things that are uh, um, uh, attached to it. But Joel 2, 2 gives us another look with other biblical prophetic symbols. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it to the years of many generations. So darkness, clouds, and mountains. Darkness means that light is not present, producing gloom. Clouds are typical of trouble. Mountains are typical of governments. Julie? And notice, you know, not only do we have darkness here, we have thick darkness. Yeah. So we have severe trouble at this point. Right. So, so this is not something that you can take lightly. The prophecy is lining things up. It's described to us how the locusts actually work, what they do, what their objective is. And again, the objective of these locusts is really simple. It's destruction. Why? Because locusts don't know how to do anything else. They just don't. That's what they do. They come in and they consume and they destroy and they leave. So, you know, again, Julie, when, when we look at this and we look at this great destruction and the idea that, that, that no nation is exempt from it, once again, this, this great destructive force is the Lord's great army. Now, who again is the Lord's great army? Oh, that's, that's, that's the great question. As soon as we start looking into the characteristics of these locusts, we're going to be able to pretty quickly see who these people are. So she's being very coy. She's not giving us an answer. You'll have to wait <laughs> <laughs> until after the commercial break. All right. So, so we're going to have to wait and, and take a look at uh, how the, what these locusts really are in great, great descriptive, uh, um, you know, descriptive way in, in the second hour. Now, again, folks, this is all about being on the same page as God, because this is God's plan we're talking about, and to be on God's same page, what we need to do is we need to understand that God has it in control. P, God provides a method to satisfy justice. He provided Jesus long before, long before we could ever see a need for that. A, he allowed the sin of disobedience to mature to its full and most destructive form, and we're on the letter G from the acronym, the word PAGE. G is he guides the inevitable self-destructive power of sin. In the second hour, we're going to really discuss how he guides the power of sin, how he doesn't interfere with people's choice, but guides the power of sin. For Jonathan and Rick and Julie and Christian Questions, we'll be back in just about two or three minutes, so please stay with us. We're talking about the important question, has God lost control of this world? The answer is no. Until we come back, think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. 
Viktor Frankl once said, the last of human freedoms, the ability to choose one's attitude in a given set of circumstances. That is profound. Welcome back, folks. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what's the question on the table this evening? It's a good one. It is, Rick. Our question is, has God lost control of our world? And our theme text is found in Joel chapter 2, verse 2. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there ever be again to the years of many generations. So that's a very, very uh, depressing (laughs) scripture in Joel, talking about a great, great, deep, dark time of trouble. And we are talking about the time of trouble that has begun to come upon us, and we really see it reflected in these chapters of Joel that we're going over this morning. Um, And if you'd like to join our conversation... Call us at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. All right, so with this conversation uh, about the, the, the prophecies in Joel, we're focusing on the locusts and being the Lord's great army and who and what they are and how they work, and we are looking at the control that God has. And, and one of the things that we talked about in the first hour was the fact that God does have control, and he's guiding this. And for us to see through the darkness, we have to be on the same page as God. So we're using the word page as an acronym. So Jonathan, um, we're going to go through that word page and what each letter stands for. But just remember, what we see as hopeless, God sees as inevitably perfect. How do we get onto that same page? How can we see the perfection in the plan of God when it looks so dark? P for page. P stands for what? Provide. Provide a method to satisfy justice, to buy back the sinner from his sin. A stands for? Allow. Allow the sin of disobedience to mature to its full and most destructive form. G stands for? Guide. Guide the inevitable self-destructive implosion of the sin of disobedience to its logical, though utterly frightening, and merciful conclusion. So we're going to continue with how does God actually guide this system? But before we get into that, uh, Julie, you had some recent experiences that uh, would be good to just put on the table here. The, The opening quote from this hour was from Viktor Frankl. Yeah, and Mr. Frankl was a survivor of Auschwitz. Uh, the concentration and extermination camp. And several of us in the CQ family were just in Poland earlier this month at a church conference and had the privilege of going to Auschwitz. And it was quite a moving experience, and you know what happened there. But until you hear the stories of the survivors or of the liberators, it's, it's really almost too horrific to imagine. And I came across a quote from one of the liberators of a different camp an American, and wanted to read just a few lines from his experience. He said this, As we entered the camp, the living skeletons, still able to walk, crowded around us, and though we wanted to drive farther into the place, the milling, pressing crowd wouldn't let us. It's not an exaggeration to say that almost every inmate was insane with hunger. Just the sight of an American brought cheers, groans, and shrieks. People crowded around to touch an American, to touch the Jeep, to kiss our arms, perhaps just to make sure that it was true. The people who couldn't walk 
crawled toward our Jeep. Those who couldn't even crawl propped themselves up on an elbow and somehow through all their pain and suffering revealed through their eyes the gratitude, the joy they felt at the arrival of Americans. When I, when I read this, it reminded me of the people today in the world who are just tired and sick of this sin-filled world and its death and going to funeral after funeral and hospital and nursing home after nursing home and the suffering and the injustices. And I think they'll be so full of joy when they realize that all of this will be over and it'll be for the eternal good of humanity and never again will we have to experience such grief and such agony. But first... We have to get through the bugs. The bugs. And, and it's incredibly moving when you, when you look at the experience from a firsthand experience like you just described it to us. And um, you know what? We had a caller uh, call in, but we, we got a little bit messed up with the call, so we're going to ask you to call back because I couldn't take your call in the middle of that. We weren't quite ready, so please do call back. I apologize for that. My fault on that. Um, all right, let's go, to, let's go back to just a quote from The Tale of Two Cities because it's sort of amplifies what Julie just talked about. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. So, Julie, when you hear that quote and you think about where we are, it cer certainly sounds like he was talking about today, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Un unfortunately, it just the evil repeats and repeats and it magnifies and it magnifies and it, it's cumulative. So let's look at how it becomes cumulative and what the godly answer to all of this is. So, so, so we've got to get back to Joel. Implementing God's destruction of sin and disobedience guidance system that we've been talking about comes in two phases. The first phase we've talked about, the timing of the arrival of the time of trouble that was laid out. It was timed out the way it was supposed to be. God knew how long it would take for trouble to grow up and mature to become as ugly and as powerful and as overwhelming as it possibly could be. And sin, when sin gets to that point, God says, okay, now it's ready to be guided so it can be destroyed. And that's the second phase. God needs the players. He needs the Lord's great army, the great and mighty people. Let's go back to Joel chapter 2, verse 2. So there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it to the years of many generations. Okay, so it talks about a great and mighty people. Never has there been anything like it, nor will it there ever be again. Who are they? Who are his army? This is the Lord's great army. Who are they? Well, let's, go look at, let's jump now Joel 2, verse 11, and then we're going to come back to verse 3. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great. For strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. And who can endure it? So, it, now, it's interesting because, you know, Julie said something in the first hour about the Lord's great army. And she said, you know, the Lord's great army is not Christians. It's not people who are following, you know, what God says. But in this verse it says, the Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great. So, when you look at that part, you say, well, it certainly sounds like they are following God. because, like, It, it does sound like it. Like, his voice is right there. I mean, how, how else can you interpret that? Well, let's, let's take a look at, let's go back to the destructive picture 
of this army. Joel chapter 2, let's go back now to Joel 2, verse 3. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Okay, so this is locusts, okay? No, wait. How can the Lord's great army be so destructive and be, be pictured by destructive insects? I mean, destructive is one thing. But insects, come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, this isn't the first time people are compared to grasshoppers. And we'll give you Isaiah forty twenty as an example, and we'll put that in the rewind. But so what we learn here is the Lord's great army is not an army of God's people, but they are people ultimately under his control for a specific purpose. Okay. Now, we, we need to grasp what that means. It's not an army of his people, but they're under his control. But does that mean that God is making them do things? Is God twisting their arm? Is God changing their mind? Is God, is God programming their thinking so they don't have a choice in the matter? Boy, I, I think the best example of that would be Pharaoh, if we go over that. Yeah, yeah, Pharaoh. I mean, think about Pharaoh in the time of Joseph, uh, Pharaoh, uh, or Moses, rather. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And because his heart was hardened against Israel, that provided the way of escape for them. It was Pharaoh's hard heart that every time he said something, he went against what God was saying, and God re retaliated. And Moses warned him ahead of time, but it was Pharaoh's heart that did it. Remember, God used Pharaoh's own propensity right. in order to accomplish his plan. See, and that's the point. God didn't have to change Pharaoh's mind. He didn't have to make him evil. He was, and he just used it. For his own purpose. I mean, think think about Israel, Jonathan. Remember, they wanted a king. Oh, yeah. Did were they supposed to have a king? No, but all the other nations had them. And so, but they wanted it, and they got their king. God and used it. There were problems, it, and they received trouble, and they received incredible yes. lessons as well. So God uses the will of people, even if it's wrong, to teach them right. Not at the moment necessarily but in the long run. Several times in battles, the enemies of Israel turned upon themselves. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Okay? So God, again, is not changing their minds. He, he allows them to be confused by the circumstances, and that's what happens. I mean, think about this. Even in movies, how often does the bad guy's arrogance lead to his own demise? Often. You, you know, <laughs> you have the, the scene where the bad guy captures the good guy, and he could just shoot him in the head right there, and that would end it, Right? But no, he doesn't want to just end it right there. He wants to create this scenario where he can watch the good guy suffer and fall apart piece by piece, and he wants to break him mentally. So he goes through all of these shenanigans, and of course the good guy gets away and the bad guy ends up dying. And it's like <laughs> the arrogance of evil is always used against itself. Right. That's how God guides this. The very tools needed for utter destruction of this present broken and sinful system is already in place. And it's the people. It's the people clamoring for their rights, for their space. And that's what God's great army is. It's yeah. the, go ahead, Julie. They're using their own free will. God's not interfering with their free will. That is their propensity. That's what they're going to do. So now when we look at the locusts, and we realize that they are only capable of destruction. Here's the thing about locusts. Let, now, you know, let, let's look at it from a natural standpoint. The locusts are doing what they're doing because they're hungry. Yep. 
Okay? So they're hungry. They want to be fed. And they have a voracious appetite. So that's the natural propensity of the locust. Is it wrong to want to eat? No. But when you eat to the point of utter, complete, and total destruction, something's got to give. Right. It's the natural propensity of the way these locusts are wired. And there's some really interesting things about locusts that, that fit into the picture of humankind clamoring for their own rights, their own space, their own will, their own way, their own, their own desires to be first and foremost. Let's look at some of the facts of locusts that we've got. We, uh, we, we pulled these off of Wikipedia. Their mouths have unusual cutting jaws. Okay, so they can, they're really good at chewing up leaves and things. And fire doesn't stop them as the bodies of the dead locusts put out the fire. That's a pretty scary thing. That is. <laughs> you know, think about that. I mean, you can't even stop them with fire because the bodies, there's so many of them, the bodies of the dead smother the flames. So the rest of them can keep going. Let's go back to Joel chapter 2, verse 4. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses, so they run. So, and it's said that the locusts have an oblong head, kind of like a horse bending down. Okay. They really do, don't they? Yeah, yeah. we're going to get one more scripture on that, and then, Julie, I know you have some things on, on, on the, uh, the, the horses thing. Revelation 9-7. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like faces of men. So, Julie, you were saying that, you know, in terms of scripture, you know, locusts being men is not something that's uncommon. That's a tremendous scripture right there that talks about the appearance of locusts were like horses, yeah, and, and so now it, we, have, we but, have, the people are like locusts, but the locusts are like war horses. So you've got this metaphor in a metaphor. And when you look at the chapter 39 of Job, it describes this war horse as being fearless, strong, and waiting to fight. And that's what we see today around us, all these groups, fearless, strong, and just waiting to fight for their rights. All right, so you, if you have a metaphor upon a metaphor, maybe you have a meta five, and we don't even know it. Oh, <laughs> uh. All right, anyway, so, so, so folks, if you have a call, save, save my co-hosts, please. <laughs> 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. And don't forget, you can also message us on your app. So these gnawing, swarming, creeping, and stripping locusts, remember there are four different kinds, are, and it's a process. Remember there's a process, the, the breaking down, the overwhelming, the, the, the young ones eating, and then the, then the utter destruction. They're looking for what they can get and not what God has given. And that's exactly what Satan did. So they follow exactly Satan's patterns, what it boils down to. Good scripture in the New Testament that, that exemplifies this whole situation, 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, thank you, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. And Julie, those sound like characteristics that are only capable of destruction. Wow. It, it, it sounds like our political process right now, too. <laughs> if, you, if you look at all these, every one of these is, 
it's, it's every day on the news. So what we have is a is a situation where you you can't you can't get away from the power of the locusts. You can't get away from it. It is big. It is powerful. It is coming, and it comes in waves. And it is representative of those who are clamoring. They're hungry. And when you look around in the world, what do you see? People that are hungry, hungry for their rights, hungry for this, hungry for that. This person has it. Why don't I? Why? And we started the program out looking at some of these rights and thinking about how all of this, when you put it in place, it just shows you what's happening according to God's plan. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, with our very own Julie from CQ Rewind, and our subject is, Has God Lost Control of Our World? Coming up. So are we saying that God is in control because it all looks like it's out of control? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today, Has God Lost Control of Our World? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Don't forget to go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. As we look at this subject matter and as we, we, we focus on these locusts and we, we try to pinpoint that we believe that these locusts are the masses of humanity that are, that, are, that are struggling for their rights, struggling to be heard, struggling to make their mark, struggling to have their group, their agenda be important. And you see that everywhere. And many of these agendas contradict one another, and it's the clamoring of the power what you, you, from the 1960s. You know, you remember the phrase, power to the people? Well, we are seeing the power of the people. We're seeing it in a very, very unique way that has never been seen before. With this natural clamoring, God is not making them clamor. God is not making them uh, rise up. He's using it. He's guiding it because it's going to eventually destroy itself. We're, so we're looking at the, the word page because we want to be on the same page as God and understanding the trouble coming. Page P-A-G-E. P stands for uh, provide. God provided a, a, a way of escape, a ransom. A is to allow. He allowed sin to grow and to mature. And now G is he's guiding the, the, the maturity of sin to its own self-destruction. How does God do that? Let's go back to Joel, chapter 2, verse 5. With a noise as of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire, consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for battle. So, Julie, a couple of things about locusts. Oh, well, they're noisy. And do you know that you can hear locusts five miles away? That's a long ways wow. off. <laughs> and it said that they, they're nipping of the leaves and the blades of grass. They produce a noise that sounds like a roaring fire. So, you know, the scripture talked about fire before and fire behind. And so you can, you, can, you can see that the literal noise of a fire is there because of it. Uh, and, you know, this scripture talks about they leap off the tops of mountains. And Jonathan, scripture, in scriptures, mountains what? They represent governments, Rick. 
And when you think about it, when you see the clamoring of the people, the swarming of the people leaping off the tops of governments, when we look at our world today right now, what is one of the big problems in the world? How about immigration? How about people clamoring for freedom from what they were, where they were? And it's out of control. You think that's an accident? God is allowing that because it's the maturity of sin now at a time where it, it needs to show its ugly self so it can utterly be destroyed. Julie, and go ahead. There really are no boundaries anymore. We're in this global village where everything affects everybody. And so this battle cry of this army is now heard in every single nation all over the globe. People are dissatisfied. So you can't stop it. You know, and that, that's an amazing thing. You just can't stop it. So uh, let, let's now go to uh, a little bit further in terms of description of the locusts. Joel 2, verse 6. Before them, the people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. All right. So before them, the people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. Jonathan, a couple of more aspects of, of locusts in real life. Well, Rick, they appear suddenly. Okay, so there's, there's no big warning. You might hear them no. a long distance off, but you don't know what it is. And they have no natural enemy that can keep a devastating migration in check. That's pretty scary. There's no natural enemy. What's the natural enemy of the clamoring of people for their rights? There is none. Mm-mm. There is no way to, to get in the way of that. And, and again, you know, we, we, we were um, uh, referencing uh, the tale of two cities, pick the times of the French Revolution. You know, that was, that was such a bloody, bloody mess because of the clamoring of the people. There was no way to stop it. It's a scary sight to see the, the many movements that are in gear right now. Right now. How many more are brought into play with regularity, each with their own agenda, their own demands, and their own momentum. And that's another key uh, to, to this whole locust picture. Julie? Any, There's no, the, you don't stop a swarm. We can't stop this swarm. Okay, and so that's an important point. Once it gets going, it's, it becomes an unstoppable force. Uh, let, let's go back to, uh, to uh, Prince E and his rap on why, he thinks, uh, why I think this world should end. And again, he's touching on some of the points of the clamoring and it turning into something that really isn't good or healthy. Money is still the root of all evil, yet we tell our kids, don't get that degree, the jobs don't pay enough. Good deeds are only done when there's a profit margin. Videos of the misfortunes of others go viral. We laugh and share them with our friends to laugh with us. Our role models today, 60 years ago, would have been examples of what not to be. There are states where people can legally be discriminated against because they were born a certain way. Companies invest millions of dollars hiring specialists to make little girls feel like they need makeup to be beautiful, permanently lowering their self-esteem because they will never be pretty enough to meet those impossible standards. Tell us, bye, 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 get this, get that. You must keep up, you must fit in. This will make you happy, but it never does for long. It never does for long. It, it creates excitement, but not happiness. And that's really the kind of situation we, we see ourselves in as the swarms come and go and come and go and come and go. Uh, how so? You know, all right, God, we, we keep saying God's guiding this, and we keep saying God's guiding this without making them do it. That's a fine line that you have to walk. Let's see if we can scripturally lay out how that actually happens, 
happens. How does God control this enormous swarming mass of humanity with all their varied agendas without making them do things? Because we are firm believers that God does not interfere with the thoughts, uh, our, our own human uh, ability to choose. We believe that thoroughly. So how does he do that? Proverbs thirty twenty seven. The locusts have no king, yet all of them go out in ranks. All right, Julie, so what does that mean? Well, there's no leader or captain of these locusts, but together they form this well-organized, disciplined fighting force. And, you know, one of these sections that I think of is, is, is ISIS. ISIS, you know, we kill one leader and the next leader pops up and there is no leader. It's still the movement keeps going and, and we find this with other movements as well. You don't need a leader anymore. There is no Hitler anymore to go get. And, and, you know, one of the interesting things is because of technology, you can have a swarm literally in, in hours by sending out a tweet. You know, you, you, you get the followers, you send out the tweet, and all of a sudden, there it is. And, you know, and that's why we talk about things going viral. And it's interesting that we use that word viral because when something is viral, it's not good. I mean, viral is sick. And this is really what we're talking about here. So again, locusts have no king, yet they go out in ranks, okay? Now, God guides this. Again, we keep asking, how does he do that? Exodus ten thirteen. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. So that's kind of interesting. Well, Rick, one of the one of the natural things about locusts is they can't pick where they're going to go. They follow the wind. Natural locusts are always at the mercy of the wind. So here we have these locusts back in Egypt that were directed by an east wind. And we know from Jonah 4.8 as an example that this east wind is described as scorching and generally an east wind in scripture is dry and blighting. So it makes sense that these locusts would be carried in on a scorching, dry, blighting wind. So this is how, and, and we have that scripture in Exodus that gives us this great hint of how God controls, how God guides where they go and where they come up. Now look, they're on their way already. He just pushes them along left or right, this way or that way, but they're going to do what they're going to do. They're already forming into their swarm. They're already doing what they're doing. He is just guiding the timing and the placement so it can happen according to his will. Not changing anybody's mind, but he simply guides it so that sin can have its grand opportunity for utter, total, complete chaos, and then self-destruction. Um, let's go back now, back to Joel. Joel chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like soldiers, and they each march in line. Nor do they deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other. They march everyone in his path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not break ranks. Now, this sounds a lot like people here. You know, they, they're marching. They don't deviate from their paths. So, so Julie, how do, you, how do you put this in perspective in terms of locusts? Well, marching everyone in his path. I mean, each group that we see has a particular complaint, and they've got a way that they're going to solve that problem, and, and they're going to be heard. So we're looking at that and saying, okay, marching everyone in his path literally means that they've got these many, many agendas which make up these incredibly big swarms. 
And these agendas all have something in common, a clamoring for rights. Now, look, sometimes the things that they clamor for are good. Sometimes they're legitimate. Right. And the, the, the issue is that there's so much pushing beyond the envelope of legitimacy that those things that are good get lost in the ridiculousness of those things that are dark and that, that are evil. So it's not like these people are all naturally bad and evil. Many of them have good hearts and, they, and they're, 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 they're trying to demand what they think they should have. But it's, it's a sinful way of going about things because it's not following the direct words and will of God. So this is an unstoppable force by way of sheer numbers because you, you said already, Julie, you can't stop a swarm. And when, when you see the idea of, well, let's get into a little bit about how these swarms develop and then uh, a little bit about how big they can become. So um, it's unstoppable force by way of sheer numbers. A couple more points, Jonathan, on what, uh, you know, how locusts work, what they are, and, and, and so forth. Swarming behavior is a response to overcrowding, increased tactile stimulation of the hind legs caused in the increased levels of serotonin. So there is literally a chemical reaction within the locusts when they are overcrowded. Right. And they have this serotonin increase which causes them to get incredibly restless and, and that's actually what happens. That's what creates the swarm, right? Is it? They get restless and they end up making a lot of locust babies and the population <laughs> gets out of control and the more it gets out of control, the more crowded they become. And the more crowded they become, they take off and they begin to have to feed immediately and they feed with this by destruction. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. And that's what sin is. Sin is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Disobey God and just wait. It's going to come. Destruction, sadness, madness is all going to come. Just wait. Because that's what has to happen with sin. Another, another point on locusts, Jonathan? When individuals at the front of the swarm settle to feed, others fly past overhead and settle in their turn. The whole swarm acting like a rolling unit with an ever-changing leading edge. The locusts spend much time on the ground feeding and resting, moving on when the vegetation is exhausted. So this is, this is a fascinating look at the literal way a swarm of locusts move forward. Um, and it was said earlier in one of the scriptures, you know, that the locusts have no king. So scripturally, they understood this process, that there is no swarm leader. But right. it, it's these rolling groups of the locusts in this, in this push forward that make them uh, the way they are and make them uh, so incredibly destructive. And when they happen to get blown toward an area of population, that spells trouble. Let's go to Joel chapter 2, verse 9. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. All right, Julie, what does all that mean? <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting about locusts is they, they know no obstacle. You know, we talked about fire before, not stopping them, because the dead bodies of the locusts put the fire out. But also, if they encounter water, like a puddle, a river, or lake, they won't attempt to go around it. They just leap in, and they drown. And then their dead bodies float to the surface, and they form this floating bridge that the rest pass over. So nothing stops them. So when we read the scripture here in, in Joel 2.9, it says they rush on the city. Well, we know a city is an organized population, 
But these locusts, these people, don't always act in civilized ways. They're not making change through regular channels like laws or through a nation's constitution. And when the scripture says they run on the wall, well, what's a wall? A wall is a city's defense system. Mm -hmm. So the protection of the city becomes destroyed by illegal means. And law, like, um, like a police force, can't stop them. And anarchy ensues. And we've actually seen pieces of that here in our own country. You know, you think about the United States as being such a, a law and a, a abiding country, and yet we've seen in our own cities where the people not only get out of hand, but in some cases are are allowed to get out of hand and say, let's let them just let them blow off steam. Go ahead, let them destroy things. Let them burn it, burn it down. And, yep. But but and you think, well, wait, wait, what happened? How did we get to that point? And you get to that point because the swarms over time, remember the gnawing, is the weakening of the, of the process. The swarm comes in and it breaks things. And then you have the young ones come in and eat up what's broken down. And then you have the stripping locusts come in and just kill it all off. And when we say kill it all off, we're, we're talking about godly principles. Once Julie, God how about this climbing into the houses and entering in through the windows like thieves? Well, you know, that sounds... That's very personal. <laughs> yeah, and, and climbing into the windows, it, it, it sure sounds like uh, today's technology with Wi-Fi and our computers. I mean, think about it. All this evil can very easily get in through our windows and doors uh, without, any, without uh, any, anything to stop it. Right, right. You, you, you have evil in your house if you have the Internet. It's as good a so, tool as, as it is. Facebook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the influence of all these swarms, we're being attacked with all of these concepts and ideas, if we want to or not. Right. This, boy, this, uh, this, this, this phrase, Jonathan, that you read earlier, where the swarm it acts like a rolling unit with an ever-changing leading edge. Today it's this, tomorrow it's that. Right. Yesterday it was this. Now it's this group. Now it's this problem. Now it's this bomber. Now it's this shooting. It just doesn't stop. Right, right, right. So here again, there's an almost eerie sense of our present reality and prophecy. Um, so two more points on locusts before we've we got to wrap up this segment. Two more points, Jonathan. The largest flight on record of locusts extend 500 miles and it darkened the sky like an eclipse. That's scary. Long distance and the sky gets dark as though there's an eclipse. What else? A large swarm can consist of billions of locusts spread out over an area of thousands of square kilometers with a population of up to 80 million individual per square feet kilometers, 200 million square feet miles. 200 million per square mile. Thank oh, you. So 200 million locusts per square mile. So it's an invading force. It's yeah, and we, we've got some pictures of uh, locust swarms coming up for the rewind, and it's, it's unbelievable. All right, so what we're seeing now is a very graphic picture of what locusts look like, how they operate, and what happens. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our very own Julie from CQ Rewind, and our subject is, Has God Lost Control of Our World? Coming up, so... God guides the chaos. To what end? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today, Has God Lost Control of Our World? 
We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. And uh, folks, just want to mention to you that CQ Rewind, the full edition, uh, again, is a free service. Really an important document. Try it out. Sign up for it through the app or through the website and try it out, especially especially with a program like this, because we're talking about something incredibly significant in our day, in our world, right here, right now. And the Rewind document will put it in perspective. You'll see the scriptures. You'll see the reasoning. You'll see the illustrations and how it all fits together. And the end result is hope because that's what this segment is about. This segment is about hope. You know, we've been talking about the word PAGE because we want to be on the same page as God. And that word PAGE is an acronym. P stands for provide. God provided a way for this to be solved right when the problem was starting, way, 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 way back. A, the word, letter A in the word page stands for allow. God allowed sin to not only take root, he allowed it to grow, he allowed it to fester, he allowed it to get big and strong and overwhelming and grow to maturity. G is for guide. God now, in this great time of trouble, through this prophecy of Joel that we've been talking about, guides the full-grown utter destructive power of sin. He doesn't change people's minds, but he guides where they have their effect so that sin can not only come to its full destructive power, but be completely and utterly destroyed. And E stands for establish. And Jonathan, what does God establish? Rick, he establishes eternal peace by eradicating sin, disobedience, and all who fuel them for all eternity. All right. God, after guiding the, 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 the maturity of sin to its, its falling apart and destruction, establishes eternal peace. So, let's sum up this day of trouble. Everything that was stable isn't. Nothing is left unshaken. Let's go back to Joel chapter 2 one last time. Joel 2, 10 and 11. Before them the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? All right, so nothing is left unshaken. The earth, the heavens, the sun and the moon, the stars. Those are things that are all constants in our world. Now, they're all biblically uh, um, symbolic of, of other things, and they're showing us that everything about the order of the world is shaken. God utters his voice before his army. It's like he sends the wind to move them this way or that. And this, this army, this great army of the Lord, uh, is, is, is the, the unrest of the people, and they are strong in carrying out his word. Now, are they trying to carry out the will of God? No. What they're trying to do is, is carry out their own agendas. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? The important thing here is that God uses the discontentment that is in our world to show... To, to, he allows it to grow. He allows it to fester. He allows it to be expressed 
and acted upon so that its natural result will come. And folks, what comes from the result of discontentment in a world of sin is more sin and eventually death. Why does God guide the shaking and crumbling of what was thought to be the rights of people and the places that they belong? He does it for the sake of the truth being able to be heard. See, got to understand that the bottom line here is that you can't understand the truth unless you look at the darkness. We're given prophecies so we can look at it, so we can perceive it, so we can absorb it, and then see the goodness of God's plan. Job 38, 22 and 23. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of distress, for the day of war and battle? All right, so, so Julie, it's talking about snow and hail. Now we're no more locusts, but snow and hail, different symbols. <laughs> well, you know, in Scripture, we know that water symbolizes truth. And what's hail? Hail is solidified water. So hail represents truth that's delivered in such a way as to be destructive to what it comes in contact with. And we, we, we look at Isaiah 28:17, the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters or truth shall overflow the hiding place. So all of the errors and lies that have brought harm to the world, they need to be dealt with. And this time of trouble that we're living in wouldn't be complete without this hail. These are these hard, cold truths that Job told us would be reserved for the time of distress or the time of trouble. So we think about today and how nothing is hidden anymore. You know, information is instant. Corruption is being constantly uncovered. We've got WikiLeaks. We've got email scandals. And, you know, this was one of the indications of the end times. Uh, Matthew 10.26. Matthew 10.26 said, There's nothing covered that shall not be revealed or hid that won't be made known. So nothing is secret anymore, and nothing is sacred either. So this further fuels the outrage of this great army and their demands. So that's interesting the way you said that. Nothing is secret, and nothing oh, is sacred. sacred. No. And, and, and see, when you, when you lose, the, the idea that nothing is secret, that's a good thing, because you know things need to be out in the open, because people do not have integrity. People try to get away with things because their agenda is higher than the, the laws around them and the people around them. So, sure, it's good that things aren't covered up. But when you lose sacredness, when you lose the sacredness of life, you have lost the very value of it. All we are doing in, 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 in pursuing, recklessly pursuing our own agendas at whatever expense is we are, we are uh, labeling ourselves as those who have no godliness and no sacredness. God created us as sacred beings to him in his, in his overall plan, and we have just completely destroyed it, and that's where we are now uh, as a result. And, you know, just another point from that Isaiah scripture, Isaiah the 28, 17, the first part of that says, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. So when God takes it all and puts it to judgment, he does it in a very clear, clean way. He doesn't do it because he's feeling angry. Justice is not a, a result of anger. Justice is a result of what is right. Righteousness is the level. That's how it's all put in place. 
Rick, I have a question. Is there ever a time where, where we as followers of Christ um, advocate rebellion and retaliation against governments or, or looking for our own personal rights? Um, no. We should never, ever, ever, ever do that. You know, look, if it ever gets to the point where our, our, our own government goes sour and starts you know, doing the, 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 the Nazi kind of thing, you do what you can to preserve life. But you don't, you don't go lead a rebellion against the government. You, you, you protect according to godly principles. It's not our job as Christians to go fight the battles of this world because we know the battles of this world, no matter which side you're on, are going to end up broken anyway. So God doesn't want us engaging in that. He wants us engaging in something higher. He wants us engaged in the new world, in the new life, in something different. Let's go back to uh, Prince E one last time because this is kind of what he's talking about in this last piece of his rap, Why I Think This World Should End. So what can we do in the face of all this madness and chaos? What is the solution? We can love not the love you hear in your favorite song on the radio. I mean real love, true love, boundless love. You can love, love each other from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. Perform an act of kindness because that is contagious. We can be mindful during every interaction, planting seeds of goodness, showing a little more compassion than usual. We can forgive because 300 years from now, will that grudge you hold against your friend, your mother, your father have been worth it? Instead of trying to change others, we can change ourselves. We can change our hearts. We've been sold lies, brainwashed by our leaders and those we trust and not recognize our brothers and sisters and to exhibit anger, hatred, and cruelty. But once we truly love, we will meet anger with sympathy, hatred with compassion, cruelty with kindness. Love is the most powerful weapon on the face of the earth. Robert Kennedy once said that few will have the greatness to be in history, but each of us can work to change a small portion of events. And in the total of all those acts will be written the history of a generation. So yes, the world is coming to an end. And the path towards a new beginning starts within you. And you know, when I, when I hear that and I think about that, what comes to my mind as he was speaking is when you look at the role, you know, because Jonathan, you were asking, what's the role of the true Christian? We have been given, according to Scripture, something called the ministry of reconciliation. That's not destructive. To reconcile is to bring together two parties that are at odds. To reconcile is to take the differences and help them become dissolved. That is what the mission of the true church is. Now, we cannot reconcile the world right here, right now. But we can develop ourselves to the point where in the day of judgment, subject for another program, in the day of judgment, we will be integral parts of reconciling the world back to God. Because sin destroyed it, Jesus saved it, and we can teach it. That's really what it comes down to. So it's really incredibly exciting when you look at what the opportunities are here and now in spite of this great darkness that we've been talking about. So the end result here is going to be peace and safety and righteousness and godly authority. And interestingly enough, 
Joel tells us about that too. I mean, we spent a lot of time hammering away at the swarms and the the gnawing ones and the and the and the uh, the swarming ones and the uh, and the uh, uh, what was the other one? The uh, you know you know there's other ones. The, stripping, the, the, the little ones. The, the, the yeah. mean ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to Joel. Joel chapter two, twenty-one to twenty-seven. Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, for the tree has borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured down for you the rain, the early and latter rain as before. So the destroyed earth is renewed, and those uh, who bless will be blessing. Just like we said, the, the, the ministry of reconciliation. Julie, thoughts on that? You know, I, I really hope that, that our listeners, after this program, will sit with the chapters 1 and 2 of Joel, because when you read through this, the end is just so amazing. And my favorite part here is rejoice and be glad. Because that hail is gone, and now we get to the sweet rain, and now we get to things better than you could have ever even imagined. And, and see, that's the point. When you look at the bulk of the prophecies that we hear on, you, you, you can watch them on YouTube, and, and there's many Christians that talk about the destruction and Armageddon and repent or else. You know, they're, 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 and they're, they're, they're pounding away at the, at, the, at the power of these prophecies. But what they're not showing you is the incredible results that come after all of the destruction. The good somehow, news. Right. Somehow the good news gets lost. And we can't lose it because that's the point. We need to focus on the good news of the gospel, the good news of the Bible, because it shows us. And remember, the E in page, we've got to be on God's page. The is establish. God establishes eternal peace because he provided the way, he allowed sin to grow, he guided its destruction, and now he's taking control. Let's finish up the book of uh, Joel, chapter 2, or or our verses that we're dealing with anyway, chapter 2, verses 24 to 27. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with the new wine and oil. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, and the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust. My great army, which I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. And my people will never be put to shame. So praise of God will be restored as the harvests of blessing pour out. And it's interesting that Job chapter uh, Job Joel chapter one in the early verses, I think it was verse four, talked about the four different kinds of locusts, and it kind of introduced them. And we looked at what that represented, the process that that represented, the process of destruction that came upon uh, the world as a result of that. And when we saw that process, it mentioned the gnawing locust, and that was the subtle weakening of all that is good for food in the sight of God. The swarming locust, the overwhelming power and force of change that breaks down all that is good in the sight of God. The creeping young locusts in the wake of the shock of that swarm, it's the slow and steady destruction 
of all that is good in the sight of God by the new ways and demands that they are putting upon the world. And then the stripping locusts are the ravagers, the total consuming of all that was good in the sight of God by those who destroy. And now you're left with nothing recognizable in the sight of God. And in here is where God can take it and use it because it's been destroyed and he can build something new. Finally, God's spirit will permeate all of humanity. Joel chapter 2 again, now verses 28 and 29. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in these days. So you have a, and they lived happily ever after ending there, don't you? We certainly do. All right, Julie, we've got maybe about a minute left. Any thoughts on, well, what do we do here? What do we do now? How do we, how do we make this work in our lives? Well, you know, for me, I, I take comfort when I have information. And I, it's kind of like a doctor. When, you, when a doctor is going to describe a medical procedure to you in detail before you go through it, if you know what to expect and why it's being done, I think it's easier to accept and to deal with it. And you know you would expect pain for a limited period of time, but with a positive end result, you can better deal with that pain. And so I think that's what we have with this prophecy. This is why this prophecy gives me personally hope. If I was going to choose one word to describe this whole bug era, it would be temporary. And the fact that God thousands and thousands of years ago gave us this prophecy of Joel 2 that directly relates to our end days, I think we can have faith that no matter how bad it gets, and it's going to get bad because the Bible describes it in dramatic fashion. The evil takes over and there will be darkness. But we know it's coming. We know it's temporary. We know the end is glorious and we need to focus on that. And we want to keep light in the world as long as possible. And so that means we do what is possible not to lose our humanity. Continue to be kind and respectful and do good where we can. And don't be a part of the darkness that's overtaking the earth. All right, Julie, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Really, really important. And uh, folks, Julie's right. It's a matter of light. It's a matter of knowing that God does have it in control. Be on the same page as God. Watch him provide. Watch him allow. Watch him guide. And then watch him establish. You know, God sees bigger, better, and beyond all that is happening around us. When we look at a prophecy as dark as this one, we can say that the light of God's truth shines through that darkness of the swarm and it sees through to the other side. It doesn't matter how thick and dark the locusts are. What matters is God's light is stronger and more powerful and sees the end. Watch that way. For Jonathan, Rick, and Julie and Christian Questions, Till next week, God has it in control. Think about it.